Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Thursday, October 29th, 2015. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're here to join us and enter into this conversation about first-century Aramaic forgiveness, the process of alleviating ourselves of hostility, fear, grief, rage, pain, drama, trauma. It's time for that stuff to be finished on There is a, a totally, completely reliable technology for engaging in and doing that process. Of course, like every other tool, you have to engage in and do the process. You can't very well say, uh, gee, that sounds fun. I'm glad I'm aware that that can happen and then not engage in the tools. And so our invitation and the reason for this ongoing conversation about forgiveness is to really make the process understandable and support people in their practice actually using the tool of first century Aramaic forgiveness. Recalling that the word forgive has nothing to do with I'm going to let you off the hook for what's happening inside of me and recognizing that the word forgive in essence means removal. So if your physiology has the capacity to produce hostility and you engage in forgiveness, you'll remove your hostility. If your physiology has the capacity to produce fear, then applying forgiveness, you'll remove fear, sadness, grief, rage, drama, trauma, etc., etc., and so that's our purpose, and that's what we're here to do. And as we engage in the tools, we bring forward a deeper and deeper understanding of the process, and that process is a lifelong unfolding of that understanding. I know for myself personally, having spent uh, almost 50 years in the study and application of the tools, I, uh, and I did start when I was four, so you get some idea of my uh, how many times I've been around the sun, uh, the uh, the process is one that just keeps unfolding and unfolding. Oftentimes the mind thinks it has it figured out, and of course, once the mind figures figures it out, then it's going to be stuck in whatever it's figured out as opposed to being alive and open to the next level of what life really is about, and that is living as the pure essence of active love. You know, if you hold a newborn child, you know exactly what a human life is. It is this awesome, sweet presence of love that is aliveness and a good measuring stick for behavior in my understanding is, you know, the, the world has has enculturated us with all sorts of behaviors that are bizarre and insane when seen from a true human perspective. And so a good measuring stick for behavior is If you can imagine a newborn doing that behavior, go for it. If you can't imagine a newborn doing that behavior, probably better stay away from it. It's not going to work for you. And so the essence of the process is the removal of what never belonged. And, you know, just about everywhere we look, the world is governed by 
rather than human life governed by the desire for stuff, for things, Gene and I were talking a little earlier this morning about Halloween and how Halloween was All Saints Eve and and the the uh, practice or the tradition of going from house to house had to do with people visiting their neighbors, offering support and healing to each other. And as with the rest of the game, what's it become about? It's about kids going out and getting their stuff. How much stuff can they get? And, you know, that, that, that mindset has pretty much taken over the world at the cost of human life. People will go for stuff, go for money, for power, for whatever it is that the mind thinks will make it happy, the mind thinks it wants, and will sacrifice or give up what's truly important, and that is the presence of love. And so we're here to support the practice of those tools, and we're honored that you're here to join us. Jeannie, do we have Dr. Tim with us today? We do, and he's on. Great. Well, let's say hello to the young man and see how you be, sir. I'm doing quite well, thank you. Awesome. How are you this fine day? I am doing well. We're in Springfield, Missouri. We're actually... We don't have a, a high enough speed uh, internet connection at Heartland to be able to do things like uh, put out a mailing to uh, 15,000 people. And so we're in Springfield doing some errands and uh, and working on uh, getting our email blast out for the intensive that's coming up in February and the summer intensives and such. So Springfield's a beautiful sunny day. It's probably about maybe 55, 58 degrees, so it's not overly warm, but it's not, not too bad, not too shabby for the end of uh, of October. And uh, I was just ruminating on how powerful uh, several of the shows have been in the last week or two and how the uh, the conversation just keeps developing. It's pretty awesome. Yes, I was uh, I was on the show all day yesterday, but I'd had some business phone issues, so I had to call in on a different number. And when you threw it back to me at the end of the show, I was too far away from the keypad to uh, unmute myself. So I understand. But I agree. I, I agree. The uh, the insight that you were talking about yesterday about how it's not about punishment uh, that was I went back and listened to the show twice for that segment that um, Julie called in and asked you to repeat. So, and I've had somebody else mention um, the uh, insight about not being a role model and everybody being able to tap into their own unique intelligence or their own pipeline to the one intelligence, which then gives it a unique flavor. That topic that came up on uh, the 14th of the month and that show. It's just, right. And then the show where our friend from Chicago called in, whose name is eluding me right now. Lunar. Lenar, we, right. When we Lenar, first right. met Lenar, her name was, she was known as Danita, and uh, she changed her name. I'm not sure the circumstances of her changing her name, but became Lenar, and uh, she's been on the path with us for the last, well, on the path for many years before we met her, but then doing this work since, I think she said, 99. So, so she's definitely uh, made a big contribution with her questions, and I hope she does more of it. Yeah, and she was going by the name Lenar Bragg when she was doing her show no out there. So if people are going to go look for some of those old shows, it's Lenar Bragg and No Out There on Blog Talk. And uh, if right. I remember correctly, we arranged for her to do an interview with her, one of the, you, one of the times that you were coming here to the Crystal Lake and, and Elgin area. And then she actually came out and uh, visited with us and saw you give a, a couple of the lectures when you were here in the Elgin area. Right, yes, I've done her uh, No Out There show several times over the years, and uh, her uh, her parents are out in uh, Arizona, had, have retired, and I think are, you know had gone through some health challenges, so she uh, kind of dropped the show and moved out there, and uh, they're now, I believe, going into some sort of assisted care, so I guess it gives her a little more time to, uh, to get to the show and have some of the conversations, so... But it's uh, it's it's wonderful to have people who have been doing their work 
asking questions, having developed those questions. That's pretty uh, makes for a pretty sweet uh, contribution. And of course, it's also pretty powerful to have somebody brand spanking new who knows nothing about what we're talking about that goes, "What the heck do you mean by that?" and get to go to depth with it. It just uh, is uh, really sweet to have that contribution from folks. Yeah, absolutely. And the other brain cells that were resonated with me when you were talking in the intro about All Saints Day and how it used to be about going out to the neighbors and seeing how you could help is um, an interview on um, Krista Tippett's show, which we get here in in Chicago at 7 o'clock on Sunday mornings, but you can go and and check out her show and her interview. She has wonderful interviews with people. And her website is onbeing.org, O-N-B-E-I-N-G dot O-R-G. And this last Sunday, she interviewed Adam Grant, who's written a book called Givers and Takers. And it's a book about the style of behavior or these personality traits where some people just really enjoy giving to others without regard for getting anything back. And they, uh, they it, it fulfills them, it, it lights them up on the inside, it's rewarding. And then some people are just takers and their their pattern of interaction is, I'm going to get as much from you as I can and I'm not going to give anything I don't have to give. And, and then he identified the third category and those people are the matchers and the matchers will wait to see what you're willing to give and then they'll give you if you're giving to them but they don't just give without getting anything back and he's done research he's a a psychologist who's done research and said i really want to find out what's going on here so he looked at it and his 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 thought was you know these givers there's probably a lot more of those in the middle to low income who really don't have anything because they just keep giving it away. And sure enough, when they started interviewing people and doing the research on this, they found out that of the givers, the takers, and the matchers, givers were overly represented in the mid to low income range. But what shocked him was to find out that Givers are also overrepresented in the really high income range. And he said, that's really bizarre. How does that happen? And he went to look at it. And he found out that the difference between the people who have not and are givers and the people who have lots like millions and billions of dollars and are really primarily givers is about several different traits or behavior patterns that the haves, the people with millions and billions of dollars who are givers, they adhere to. One of them is like when you're on an airplane and the oxygen masks drop down, they tell you make sure you put your mask on first before trying to help your children put their oxygen mask on because if you aren't stable and able to breathe and stand on your own two feet, you can't help anybody else. So the people who are at the really high end of the income and wealth in in our world, who are givers, one thing they do is they make sure that they don't give so much that they can't get their own work done. They make sure that their top priorities are met, their family and their friends, and then they go out and give. The second thing they do, he noticed, is they don't just give indiscriminately to takers who will suck them dry and then hoard whatever they've gotten. Let's say if somebody's going to do give somebody 17 hours of their time to coach them or consult, they will screen you first to make sure you're also a giver and that you will, number one, be attentive, absorb, learn, put into practice, and then share what you get from them rather right. than be a taker who's just going to suck it in and then hoard it and not share with others. And there are there are other aspects that they learned about the difference between the people who have a lot and who are naturally givers and the people who really don't have much, but they love to give anyway. And you can do both. You can have 
and give, you can be in the flow of the way the world is supposed to work with the natural laws and have abundance and be a giver. And this is a psychologist who's done research and written a book about it. Cool. Yes, that's powerful. Uh, somebody in the chat room is asking the name of the book, Tim. Do you remember what it was? Yes, Givers and Takers, and <clears throat> the author is Adam Grant. Adam Grant, Givers and Takers. Cool. Well, my, my take would be that in the context of the language we're using, that it would be pretty simple to, uh, to categorize those three groups as there are people who live as human beings, as love, and they automatically give, and they would automatically take care of themselves as well if they're living as true human beings. And then there's the non-being, the person who lives out of power person dynamics and protection and, and poverty uh, would tend to be in the other two categories. And so uh, conditional giving, of course, is, is not abundance and generosity. It's more like an exchange program. And uh, the taking would, would be, the what to me would represent the poverty aspect of the non-being mind, where if you think about the child, the child doesn't, you know, a newborn doesn't look at somebody and say, am I going to be loved in your presence? Uh, do you deserve it? Um, are you going to give me something back? Should I, should I just radiate this love? No, the child doesn't do that. The child is love. And so to me, that would be the, uh, the giver that, uh, that he's talking about. So sounds like some pretty, uh, pretty cool descriptions. And of course, if we are all naturally human beings, so we are all naturally givers, my take would be that carbon-based memory has been filled with inhibitors that shuts that down, that puts someone in the position of being a taker or an exchanger, and the forgiveness process cleans it all out so that people can step into more and more the full expression of, of human life and human, be human beingness. And of course, to do that, people have to go through the healing process and having some conversations with a couple of folks who uh, who recently decided, both having done this work, recently decided to go into relationship with each other and having been privy to the to both of their histories and knowing that there was uh, there were certain um, let's say matching bags of garbage uh, in in each of their lives. I informed them what I you know suspected would be coming down the pike and that would be well you know you guys are going to go through some pretty intense times they're going to be intense 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 dynamics they're going to come up in your relationship and when they do just know that we're here to support using the tools and moving through it and so uh just you know, in the last day or two, I've gotten, you know, texts and information about the uh, the uh, matching bags of garbage have hit the fan. And so, one more time, let's just hold the space that, uh, you know, that each of us can learn that if I'm in pain, my mind is off base, I'm in error, I have work to do. If you're in pain, your mind is in error, you've got work to do. We can create a support team for moving through those bags of garbage and recognize when my crazy crazy part is up, I just need a space of love and support to move through it. When your crazy part is up, you need a space of love and support to move through it. When both of our crazy parts are up, it tends to be chaos. And so fortunately, there are others in the space and uh, in the, the process, and we're just inviting the whole community to hold the space of love and, you know, to continuously keep spraying that energetic love onto everyone who chooses to do this work and especially those who move into relationships that, uh, that choose to intensify the process. You know, a lot of people, uh, one of the uh, common responses I get from people when they, they hear I do codependence to interdependence, uh, the response is, oh, I just don't do relationship because I'm a codependent. It's like, well, it's codependent not to do relationship because you're codependent. It's in the context of relationship that healing happens. And, of course, to heal, what has to happen? Everything unlike love has to be accessed and moved out of the system. And to uh, to take the tools and really be on track enough to, to continuously use the tools, to continuously keep the channels of communication open. You know, when the, one of the, the biggest issues on the planet is the leaving issue. 
And, you know, the the ultimate leaving is people die. And I would offer that a lot of people die because they don't want to deal with what's going on in their lives and in their relationships. And so we invite people to even give up death and leaving. And, you know, just you, you just come to the point where it's not an option anymore. You're committed, you're in, and that's it. Whatever comes up, the conversation doesn't go to leaving. If leaving comes up, you forgive leaving until you just know that I'm in it to win it and I'm here to hold the space and move through it. And it's a, it's a difficult lesson to get and the intensity of the work that needs to be done can be extreme. And so if anyone's experiencing that in your relationships in your life, uh, just know that every person who can show you and of course it's an easy thing to say it's it's not always so easy to remember and be with when you're in the middle of the muddle and and of course i'm speaking about myself too when i'm in the middle of the muddle that old saying of it's kind of hard to remember that the objective was to drain the swamp when you're up to your bippy and alligators so uh just to remember that all the stuff is just stuff and the stuff needs to be peeled off in order to return to the truth of who we are and we're going to have to find the environment for that stuff to come up and certainly helpful if we have the support and the tools to keep moving through the layers as the layers move on and up. So we're here to hold the space, and our call-in number, of course, is 646-200-4169. If you're on one of those stations that we can't see in our control panel, then uh, we're here to uh, support you and uh, dial in, push one, ask your question, and I think Jean's got something to say. Hey, okay. We don't have uh, anyone in the chat room asking any questions right now, and no one has their hand up. So I've got two things uh, for maybe you to address. And the first one kind of fits in with what uh, Dr. Tim was reading to start with and, and taking care of yourself. And you and I had a conversation at breakfast this morning. We had done... Uh, the codependence to interdependence worksheet the other night in the support group and I was talking to you this morning saying that every one of the ones that I did on this worksheet which I've done this worksheet a whole bunch of times and always before it was things like you know my advice to them was like trust me or be honest with me or whatever and I could see where then turning that around to be advice to myself is to be honest with myself and to trust my own intuition and things like that however this time when I did the worksheet, all of the things that I had advice to them was things like, you know, put things back where they belong or clean up after yourself or uh, do your share and pull your weight. And then I do all of those things. So how can that be advice to me? So if you would address that first and then I have another one. Okay, cool. So the um, the, the the trick of the uh, codependence worksheet that gives us a chance to look at another way at the mind is that we have a worksheet. You can go to the website. If you go to whyagain.org and scroll down the page a little bit, you'll see a bullseye. Click the bullseye and there's a series of worksheets or a series of links that will open. The second link will take you, no, pardon me, it's the first link that will give you the uh, all of the worksheets besides the forgiveness, uh, the wake-up sheet tool. And so if you scroll down, you'll see one that says Codependence to Interdependence Worksheet. And on that worksheet, there are several columns, and we invite people to list anyone or everyone who's ever offended them, and then uh, the nature of their offense, your punishment thought. And we talked about that one yesterday on the show. And then the final column is your advice to them. And so then once that's all completed, we'll do a little more of the workshop, and then we'll invite people to look at the fact that you know, no such thing as a body exists. We know that from a scientific point of view. It's an energy system. So when we're looking at a body, we're looking at a picture in our mind that is a result of the firing of brain cells constructed by the mind. And we invite people doing that worksheet to notice that you're giving advice to bodies. They're giving advice to something that doesn't exist except as a picture in their minds and point out that the place that the picture in the mind comes from is the mind. And so if I turn the advice around and start to look at how do I follow my advice to them in my life, I'll find that I'm an expert at giving advice. And so as Jeannie says, well, but I already do that advice. Here's the key. 
if I'm in some sort of hostility or fear, some sort of disturbance, then I have an imbalance in energy in that arena where I'm giving advice. So, as Jeannie said, well, gee, you know, the advice I give, I can see where I need to be following it, except for this one, because I already do that. But it's also, if you're going overboard, if there's hostility or fear in that circumstance or situation, rather than just the simple fact of, well, let's say the example, if you need to pull your weight, you need to do what you committed to doing and do your share here. Then if I have, if I can be in a centered, neutral, connected space of love and say that to somebody, cool. But if I'm in some sort of disturbed state, then there's something in that advice for me. And so Jeannie's uh, input there, and we did process this this morning at breakfast, is that Jeannie doesn't just do what needs to be done. Jeannie does it and does it and does it and does it. And then she does it some more to the point of self-deprecation where I've had times where I've had to run a bathtub of water, light a candle, take Jeannie by the hand, lead her into the bathtub and say, now sit there, <laughs> stop, take care of yourself. And so so the point would be that there's disturbance because there's some energetic something that needs to be worked out in that arena. So so uh, I think Jeannie got on a new level that, you know, it's time to take care of herself more rather than, and, and I, you know, she used to call herself, or every once in a while she would call herself OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and actually, you know, the OCD ends to be ends up being a disorder that tends to create problems in people's lives, whereas actually Jeannie is OCB, and I've suggested that she change her OCD label of herself to OCB, and that's obsessive compulsive blessing, and that, you know, I mean, when Jeannie says she's going to get something done, she's going to get it done. If it's going to be handled, she's going to handle it and, you know, and and does it almost to the point of compulsion sometimes. And so, again, sometimes I have to slow down a little bit. And I think that the advice of, you know, pull your weight uh, in that particular situation with the person she had on her list was to to give herself the message that, well, I do need to pull my weight, but I don't need to pull mine and 10 other people's weight too. So there's the imbalance, and so there's where the advice would be useful. And so that's the idea of that worksheet. Does that kind of get to what you were thinking of, sweetie? Okay, so you had a second point for us then? Oh, second point's gone for the moment, but it'll come back. I'm sure something will trigger the brain cells. And so if uh, if you're sitting there and uh, wondering about something that we've said, that Dr. Chim shared about the, the takers and the givers, you know, human life is naturally abundant and generous. It's just the way it is. And so if Tim had presented that on a platform in your church or your library or your school or, you know, your local PTA or whatever, if I presented what I just presented in this conversation in the last uh, 20 minutes or so, and we walked down off the platform and you were in the audience, you would be walking over to us and asking a question. I know you would. So what's your question? We want to hear it. That's that's what makes this thing live and in process. So if uh, if you'd be walking over to Tim or to me or to Jeannie, you, you'd probably be saying, and, and I just hear this, I, I never hear anybody say, I've got a really long question for you, Michael. It's always, I've got a quick question. <laughs> and uh, so what would your question be? What, what would What would help if Tim or myself or Jeannie could help to refine anything that we've just said to make it more usable to you. And, you know, in order for something to become usable, you've got to have the brain cells to make it usable. You can't just know that it would be useful. You know, like, for instance, people will come to the point where they do a workshop and they come to this experience of, I got it. I'm made of this stuff called love. My newborn is the truth of me is that. The truth of you is that. And so that's why I want to live forevermore. And, you know, who wouldn't want to live there once they know that's possible? But if somebody doesn't have the brain cells for going there, then going there is impossible. And the next time they give the look, you know, the, the couple that I was just talking about are really committed to living the commitment with each other. But the work is about bridging the gap 
between the brain cells that say, no, I have to protect myself, I have to defend myself, you're the enemy, you told me I was the problem in your life, therefore you're the problem in my life. It's the bridge. It's the bridge from the possible. Ah, I could live 24-7, 365 as the awesome presence of love. And I think Julie gave us a, a good example. I mean, if there was ever a worksheet queen, Julie is the worksheet queen. And, you know, you heard her on the show yesterday, and she got a whole new level of comprehension of the worksheet after 28 years of doing worksheets. And I mean doing, I mean, Julie would call me when she was in school. This goes back many years ago when she was teaching kindergarten in grade one. And she'd say, Michael, I just took a well day off of school. Yesterday, I was going nuts in the classroom. She had a lot of challenges as a kid in school. And so she'd take a well day and she'd say, I'm on my 35th worksheet. I need support with this. So here's somebody who's so deeply practiced, and we heard her yesterday, and I think everybody got the genuineness of the shift in energy for her of going to a new level, a new place. And to me, that's the gift of doing the show with everybody because I get to get all those nuances and all those gifts. When somebody, when I come across somebody who's who's got a question or a behavior that's just bizarre and out of line, it always holds a gift for me if I'm willing to get out of my mind, to be out of my mind, and trust Rukha and trust the process. And so building the brain cells to do the work is about building a bridge from, well, what I know is possible or I'd like to do the ideal, and then my mind that's advising me differently. It takes bridges in each of the tools. It's a bridge that, and Jeannie just had a light bulb go on and got the other question that she had. So, sweetie. Yeah, thank you. You brought up the conversation again about the couple, and and it also reminded me of something we talked about at breakfast. And so it it is true, absolutely true, that whatever's going on for us, if we're in upset, that it is ours. However, I think probably one of the things that is happening in this case, and I've seen it in other cases, and in fact, I think you and I have done it too. (laughs) And that is, you know, we, we look at it, you know, okay, I'm doing my work around this, and we still have this issue, and so yes, the other person may be doing something that's totally off base that needs to be addressed, or there's something in your relationship that needs to be addressed so that it's smoother, like a compromise for a lack of a better term. And it's sometimes I think a cop out when an issue's up in your face to go, oh well, I'm doing my work around this, and I'm okay with it. So whatever's going on, it's your problem, and so you need to do your work. And that that's sometimes a cop out in the relationship itself and that there needs to be more communication about, okay, what do we need to do here to make this a smooth transition between us? You know, perhaps I need to change something, perhaps you need to change something. So can you address that end of it? Because I think that sometimes that's a cop-out for a person to not look at their own stuff, to say, oh, well, if you've got something going on, it's your issue, you just need to fix it. Well, of course, you've just spoken about the root of the whole problem, and, you know, we really started the show out, that was what Tim was referring to a few minutes ago, we really started the show out with that issue and and completed it when Julie called back in and said, please repeat that, and that is that when we live in denial, then we think and speak about somebody else. I mean, it's just really simple. If, If I am in some sort of turmoil or pain, I have a problem. I have work to do. And I think that in every situation where there's a conflict in a relationship, I shouldn't say every, in probably 98% of of cases where there's a conflict in a relationship, you've got two people who have a problem. And what the non-being mind wants to do is they want to speak and think in terms of how what they're feeling is their partner's problem. And so here we have person one in relationship and their physiology and their minds are generating a reality that's traumatic or painful to them. So there's person one with problem one. And the classic game on the planet is person one with problem one says, you person two, need to fix my problem. 
Now, of course, they don't say it that way. They say, you have a problem, you need to fix it. But in essence, if I have a problem going on in my mind and I say, you need to fix it, what I'm saying is you should be reaching into my mind and fixing what's going on inside of me, which, of course, is ludicrous. You can't possibly do. Here's how most relationships work. Person with problem one calls person two on the carpet. Person two also has a problem. They've got some pain or turmoil. And so person two has problem two, and person two with problem two says, person one, you should change so that I don't have to experience this. In essence, once again saying, person one, you should fix the problem in my mind, (laughs) which of course is ludicrous again. And so when we step into that space of willingness instead of resistance and resentment and fear, then the willingness to embrace. And, And one of the ways that I can tell that I've got a problem. There's a really simple measuring stick. And that is, can I stand truly as a space of conscious, active, present love? I was interacting with someone yesterday who was in a pretty intense state of hostility. And and I pointed that out. And like literally in a fraction of a second, they said, okay, well, let me explain this to you and, and do it lovingly. It's like, excuse me. With that hostility that was in your mind a second ago, until you forgive that, you're not going to do anything lovingly in this regard. That's uh, You may change your voice tone. You may try to modulate it. You may try to make it look like this is loving. But the truth is the energy behind it and underneath it is hostility. And what we each need to do when we're in that is stop, take a look. What's the goal I hold for this person? Okay, I'm going to cancel that goal. I'm going to let myself drop into the root of my hostility. I'm going to free myself from hostility and really, truly, get back to that connected space of love. And that's a process that just takes time to learn because it's it's not a skill that exists on our planet. It's a thing that happens sort of on our planet, but usually it happens, you know, somebody will say, you know, to this person, I love you, I cherish you, I will honor you forever, I want to be with you forever. And then that person gives them the look. They go into their hostility and then it's, don't touch me, don't come near me, I never want to speak to you again. Now, if a person's in that position, and you say to them, why don't you turn to this person and tell them how much you cherish them? They're like, but, 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 but I can't do that. That's not true. Well, the truth is, it is true, but that's not what's vibrating in brain cells at this moment. And what usually happens is people just hang out with that whatever is vibrating in brain cells until the stimulus for it is gone. And so that energetic pattern of hostility, if you're just kind of decays away and they're able to come back to say, Oh, I cherish you. Oh yes. I remember who you are. I remember how important you are in my life. But when the hostility of your mind is up, that's not an easy thing to do. And the work creates bridges for getting to that for moving to the place where if I'm in my hostility or fear, the fear filter is active, the hostility filter is active, I can, my mind can only, out of those two filters, and we're back to the importance of the perennial conversation about Rachma, when hostility and fear are active, my brain can only construct a reality based in threat or irritation. And it's hard for somebody when threat or irritation is active to remember to cherish the person they're looking at. That's a, that's a tall, tall order. And as you do your work, you get to the point, and it was shared the other day on the show, where, gee, I'm in this space. You know, Julie shared it with her cat. Gee, I went to raise my hand just like a hand was raised to me as a child. And at the same time as I raised my hand and I could see carbon-based memory doing its thing, my being, I practiced standing and being long enough, enough, often enough to bring forward new information, to stay aware of, oh, I am love. I'm committed to treating this cat or this person lovingly, gently, and with respect. So now you get the two conversations going on, carbon-based memory and being. And those two went in conflict and the ancient teachings were called the Battle of Armageddon. And rather than just sitting around and waiting for the hostility or fear mind with its threat 
or irritation to just naturally decay away, which can take hours, days, weeks, months, in some cases, years. In some cases, communication is so cut off that it's never expressed. Or years later, I know we we shared a story back, a true story about a, a gentleman, I believe he lived in Michigan. He was in his 60s, late 60s. And he got the message that his brother was dying of, I think, cancer, if I remember correctly. And this guy did not have a driver's license anymore. He wasn't competent to drive. And he actually took a riding lawnmower, had it fixed, and drove it from Michigan to California to see his brother. And when he got there, neither he nor his brother could remember why they stopped talking 40-some years earlier. It had decayed away so far. It was so, you know, it's like when the hostility of your mind comes up with its threat or its irritation, it seems so important and so urgent and so big that, oh, I couldn't possibly say the words I cherish you through that. When we learn to say the words I cherish you through the irritation or the threat that the mind is serving up, we begin to dissolve the threat and the irritation in the mind. And we move to another level of healing. So, sweetie, does that kind of get to your your question? Awesome. So she shook her head, yes. And so do we have anything happening in the chat room? Or anybody with a hand up? It's all quiet. All's quiet. Where is everybody? Come on, you guys. You, you know, we're, we're going to be running out of time. I know there's some people out there who are going to wait until three minutes to and then go, oh, we don't have time. Well, we've got 19 minutes. Let's have a conversation. Push one. You're first in line in the phone queue. Tim, do you have any thoughts to add? Well, we're waiting for somebody to push that button. Tim just disappeared. Maybe he pushed the wrong button on the phone. I've done that before. So our call-in number, 646-200-4169. If you have a question or thought for us, we would love to hear your sweet voice. And we'd love to interact in a way that helps to open the space for a new piece of understanding, perhaps for both of us perhaps for our whole listening audience. And we are blessed to have this audience that uh, joins us daily from all over the globe, holding that space and building community. And Jeannie tells me that she's got two hands up, so let's say hello. Oh, Dr. Tim. Okay, so I was asking if you had any thoughts on that earlier part of the conversation. Lots and lots. Well, share some with us. Well, the first thing I want to share is gratitude for people like Julie who have been around doing this work for so long and Yay. remind me on a regular basis that no matter how much I think I've got a handle on it, there's more to learn. And it's people like Michael and Jeannie and Julie that I count as a support team because when, as you were just saying earlier, brand new people call in and ask a question, I, I, it stimulates one part of brain cells in me to start to come up with, you know, my dad used to say, if you want to make something your own, first you see one, and then you do one, and then you teach one, and then it's your own. So if you really want to make yeah. something your own, you have to learn it well enough that you can do it and then you have to start teaching it to others because as you do that, you will learn it at deeper and deeper levels. And the concept, the concept of building the brain cells, that phrase, is so packed with potential. And the essence of it is that as I continue to build brain cells, I'm not the same person tomorrow that I was last week when I go listen to another lecture or when I ask a question or I try to answer a question about the worksheet process. And, you know, while we have all manner and all range of people who call into the show, who listen to the show, who participate in the show, 
from people who've done one or two worksheets, even though they've been exposed to the work for eight or ten years, to people who've done 30 or 40 worksheets and they only got exposed to the work to the to the work you know a month ago or a week ago. And it's the blend of those people and their willingness to stick around and ask questions and be honest about how much of the work they're doing or not that makes this so rich for me. So that was one set of thoughts and and gratitude for Julie and and others who've been around a long time and stay with it and and call in and give testimonials like Terry did and Michael Coughlin did and I just have gratitude. I've, I've gone back and listened to the show with Michael that I sent you the, the file of several times right. because there are two 20-minute segments from two different shows six months apart where Michael called in and gave testimonial. And then there's that isolated two or three shows of material from Terry that I go back and listen to when I need a boost and things seem like they might be getting a little overwhelming or I've done this too many times and it's not making progress, I can listen to a show with a testimonial from Terry or Michael and realize if they can do it, I can do it. And that's exciting for me. So I just wanted to encourage people to make use of this fabulous resource of the archives. You know, on a regular basis, if I wake up at 2 in the morning and I'm wide awake, I'll do one of two things. I will pick up one of the books I'm reading and read a little bit, or I'll go to the archives and listen to another radio show or listen to one I've already listened to four or five times. On the anniversary of uh, August 28th, I went back and listened to that show from last year where I got so triggered and couldn't catch my breath and was processing through other layers of when I got bullied when I was 14. And over the next week, I listened to that show three more times and saw a little bit more stuff and did a couple more worksheets and a little bit more breath work. And and the repetition of the material that, oh, yeah, I've done that before. Oh, I've already read that. If I go at it understanding I'm not the same person today that I was the last time I listened to it, and I breathe and stay open, it has gifts for me. So those are my thoughts triggered by what, what was going on. Hey. Powerful. Powerful, right on track. And Jane was just saying it's on her list today. You know, we we um, we don't have enough uh, internet bandwidth uh, to have uploaded. We couldn't get it to upload, but uh, we're at a hotel where they've got high speed uh, internet, and so we're. She's got that on her list today to get uh, that um, up that that uh, link to the edit that you did of uh, Michael Coughlin and stuff. So, so hopefully that'll be on the site today before the day is out. We're working on it. And so, Jeannie, well, you got a caller? Oh, go ahead, just, just before you do that, if if you have an a, an email address from Michael Coughlin, if you want to send that, or if you, Jeannie, can send him the link to the Dropbox so he could have access to that, I, I would like to be able to make that available to him just for oh, his own. Absolutely, yes. We'll do it, for sure. So, Jeannie, you've got a caller? Well, it was a 417 that uh, had their hand up, and they've disappeared. And so 417, if you uh, still have your thought or your question, we'd love for you to push your hand again or dial back in. And uh, if you need to redial, I don't know just why it's disappeared, but if you push 1 again, uh, that uh, hand up that was there has uh, vanished from the switchboard. No hands coming up, sweetie? Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. We would love to hear your thoughts your questions. We've got about 10 minutes. In the meantime, I'll take a minute to uh, to do a brief uh, announcement about uh, some upcoming events. Uh, we're actually only going to be doing a couple of workshops this winter, aside from a month of intensives. And if you want to take your work to the next level and be ready to do that, uh, on the 1st of February in Orlando, Florida, if you want to get away from winter, we're going to be doing a nine-day 
codependence to interdependence. And that nine day, actually, once it's complete, will then stretch into a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 days. So there are people who can come who want to do the nine day codependence to interdependence communication practicum. And then for those who may not have the space to do the whole 16-day, they can come and do the 9-day. And then for those who are doing the 16-day, it will carry on or or any any number in between. If you're there for the 9-day, you can do 10 days or 11 or 12, then you can do that all the way up to 16 days. So from the 1st to the 16th of February, we'll be doing a codependence to interdependence communication practicum. And then uh, we'll take a day off, and on the 18th, we'll start a 16-day Laws of Living. In Orlando, Florida, we've got an absolutely gorgeous, uh, huge 3,500-square-foot house uh, that we've rented for that month to do those intensives. So if you want to join us and get away from winter, we'll be in Orlando the week of February through March the 4th. So we'd be delighted if you want to come and join us. And then, of course, we also have the schedule set up for next summer at Heartland. And we'll be doing a nine-day Y, a nine-day teacher training. We'll be doing a, a laws of living, a codependence to interdependence communication. 16-day, we'll be doing a three-day training on um, using the personal code evaluation. So we've got uh, a whole variety of things happening. And with the Heartland intensives, if you register before April 1st, if I remember the date correctly on the flyer, it's April 1st, uh, we'll give you a full set of 10 DVDs free as part of your registration. And if you mention that you were listening to the radio show, we'll not just do 10, but we'll do 15. And so if you'd like to join us for any of those intensives and want to go ahead and get registered, we'd be happy to work with you to get that set up. And, you know, if you want to do a payment plan of some kind, you can get that set up so we get started. And you'll be on your way to uh, to the next level of doing your work. And the intensive is a, is a powerful space for people to open dissociated content in the mind and work through that content. You know, the... Uh, conversation that Tim was just having about Michael Coughlin. Uh, Michael came to Heartland this summer uh, in a wheelchair uh, or last summer. And uh, he hadn't been able to go into the gym for 10 years. He's former military, you know, proud kind of bodybuilder sort of guy. And uh, for 10 years, hadn't been able to work out because of pain in his body and injuries. And uh, one of the injuries that cleared up, he actually had um, uh, done some damage to his shoulder, some pretty severe damage in the military. I think that's what ultimately had him leave the military. And um, the VA for several years said, oh, there's nothing we can do. There's too much damage. You're just going to have to live with it. And he was in South Florida and ran into somebody who knew someone at the Cleveland Clinic, and he got into the Cleveland Clinic, and they said, we can fix that, no problem. And they did, which was pretty awesome. It's pretty intense surgery. And about four days after the surgery, Michael came to a Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing Workshop that we did in Florida, or pardon me, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And here's a guy who for 10 years, he's had about maybe a, you know, from if he were laying his hand on his belly, he may be a 20-degree range of motion with that arm. And so four days after the surgery, he's got maybe 10 degrees range of motion. And he's doing a still point breathing session. And if you know Margaret, uh, it it wasn't uh, a whole lot. uh, But Margaret had to just about sit on him, as I did, in order for him to allow as he breathes the intensity of the energy that moved in his shoulder, which had had surgery done four days earlier, three days earlier. And the intensity was severe, burning, searing pain. I mean, about as physical as it can get. But but remember, put in the equation, as I explain this, because if you don't put this in the equation, you'll say that's not believable. Well, you can talk to Michael and you'll know that it's believable because it happened to him. Or you can talk to others who are at that workshop. But um, Michael went through this intense burning, searing pain 
This was on a Saturday. We do the Mind Shifters Tilbury Breathing Workshop on a Saturday. And on Monday, he went to his physical therapist, who he'd been to once or twice since he'd had the surgery, and they were starting to do physical therapy on him. And Michael got up from the still point breathing session, where before he lay down, he had 10% range of motion in his arm. And he was able to raise his arm over his head with zero pain, had 100% range of motion back in his arm in an hour. Now, if, if you think there's a physical body, that's ridiculous and that's impossible. When you realize we have no physical, we have an energetic body, Michael went to his physical therapist and his physical therapist said, oh my God, you've done something wrong. You better get to the doctor. Uh, excuse me, uh, let's see. I had 10% range of motion with a significant amount of pain and now I have 100% range of motion with no pain and I've done something wrong. What does that tell you about the mindset of the physical therapist? I mean, I would think that if I had a, a client who had 10% range of motion with significant pain after three or four three or four days after having a surgery, and three days later they had 100% range of motion, no pain, my first thought would be, wow, what did you do that was so right? <laughs> but it's like, no, you better get to the doctor. And... He went to the doctor, and he walked into the doctor's office and waved his arm around, and the doctor's like, oh, you've damaged something. What? It's like, excuse me, doc, I got 100% range of motion and no pain. What do you mean I've damaged something? But the mindset is so bizarre. It can't handle what it can't believe. But that was just one example, and then, as I say, the summer before last, Michael arrived in a wheelchair, and six weeks later was jogging up the hill, and was able to go back into the gym when he got home and walk his daughter down the aisle, which he thought he was going to have to do in a wheelchair. That's called healing, folks, and it's possible. That's what the work's all about. So if you've got something going on in your mind, your body, your emotions, your relationships, your finances, get doing the work. If you're not familiar with the work, it's all there on the website. Go to www.whyagain.org. We freely give it to you. We freely support you using it. Go to the bullseye in the middle of the page. We have to scroll down a little bit, click on the bullseye, follow the links, and begin to do the work. Not talk about doing the work. Not hope you could do the work. Not think you got it all figured out so you don't have to do it. Actually do the work. And when you do that, what you'll find is, now, Michael did this work and his shoulder changed like in an hour from 10% to 100% from excruciating pain to no pain. Now, does somebody just walk in and go, oh, let me do that? No. Michael had been doing this work for about four years at that point, sincerely doing significant work. He came to Heartland in a wheelchair ready to do significant work and did that work. Didn't talk about it. Lots of people talk about it. But then when they sit down to put the pen to the baby, it's like, oh, this is silly. I'm not going to do this. No, I no, I know that. I got this figured out. I, I, I don't have to do this. It's like, okay, good luck. Notice you're in the same boat as you've always been, sitting back there going, boy, I sure wish I could take care of this, but you won't do what it takes. You have to do what it takes. And what it takes is doing your work. Six four six two hundred four one six nine. If you're on one of those stations where we can't hear you, oh my goodness, we're down to just the last few seconds. So I'll just say we're appreciative of the fact that you're here. If anything we said today is significant to you and meaningful, listen to the show again and again. As Dr. Tim says, each time will bear new fruit. If there's somebody in your life that you think it would be significant to, please pass it on to them. It's a free MP3 download. Just go to whyagain.org and click on the radio show. It'll take you to the archives, and you can freely download the MP3 of this show and over a 1,000, well over a 1,000 other shows. If there's somebody that you think it might be useful to, attach it to an email, send it to them, or send them a link to it. We're here, delighted, honored, and happy to support you and invite you to support us and assist us in taking this work to every mind, heart, and being on the planet because that's what we're here to do. Lots of love and blessings.
best year yet of your eternal life. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Sleep.